0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com.
1: Daniel chapter 12. Based on attendance today, I'm guessing you guys are really excited for this book to be over because, man, it just came out of the woodworks. I'm going to have to put out a fifth row. Praise the Lord. Oh, hey, we can do that. Daniel chapter 12, I keep telling Melissa she can't keep picking songs that make my eyes sweat, but she keeps doing it, so here I am, I'm a mess, Every yeah, it's, it's eye sweat, so, in case you, this is your first Sunday, I'm going to give you the prep, the low down quick and dirty on this book, just in time for us to wrap it up, Okay. The second half of the book of Daniel, which we've been preaching these last few weeks, are a bunch of visions God gave to a, a guy who loved him deeply about 2,600 years ago when the people of God, Israel, were in captivity in Babylon. That's a time where you'd want to hear from God, right? No, am I the only person who reads my Bible more when times are tough? It's just me? <laughs> a, a dusty Bible comes from everything being okay, right? Oh, I'm preaching right now. Anyway, so... The people of God would be very, very anxious, potentially, unless there's very real spiritual darkness, and there was for some. But generally, there there were some who really wanted to hear from God, and there were a few prophets that God had raised up. Daniel was in a spot where he was the second most powerful in the Babylonian government, the number two guy, which is odd because he doesn't worship any of the Babylonian gods This feels, where were my Sunday school kids at? This feels like Joseph in Egypt, doesn't it? Joseph didn't bow the knee to any of the Egyptian gods. Huh. Sometimes rulers have to be pragmatists, they're not priests. And they're going, man, this guy has a weird religion, but everything he touches is blessed. He has wisdom, a spirit of wisdom from his gods that I can't really explain. But you know, when I put him in charge of something, things go better. And that says something about the Christian in the workplace, doesn't it? that says something about the Christian in civics, in our city and in our state. I'm preaching my sermons ahead of time because we're about to do a six week series leading into Easter of Christ invading the different spheres of our life and how he goes in to bless and where he's a blessing, he draws attention to his cross through us. And that's Daniel's life, that's Joseph's life. And so of these many visions, Uh, all of them in the future that Daniel receives, God tells him him to write them down and they're for a long time in the future. And we're gonna see today a couple times where he says, Daniel, don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. I'm in charge of the cosmos. Your job is simply to write it down. Anybody here, God told you something and he gave you a teaching ministry? I don't know. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 teach your children and your children's children how to fear the Lord and instead of teaching our children's children how to fear the Lord we spend more time worrying about whether they will fear the Lord am I the only one worrying about my kids spiritual decisions more than simply obeying the things that have been given to me is there ever a biblical command to worry about whether your kids are going to love Jesus right does that hurt is there anything a Christian parent could want more than your kids to love Jesus There's nothing. And yet I've not been commanded to worry. I've been commanded to set a good example and to verbally proclaim consistently, uh, winsomely, generously. I plant the seed, mama waters it, and the Lord brings the growth. That's Greg's standard translation of 1 Corinthians 3. Okay. So I'm going to read the text, which... If you've got a background in church, you're going to go, wow, this is awesome. If you don't, I will try to bring you along for the ride. And then after reading this, we're going to have a discussion question. So introverts, I apologize in advance. You're going to have to meet somebody new. Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Good news or good news? good news. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who That's an interesting way of talking about hell, isn't it? We always think about hell as pleasure or pain. And here in an eastern culture says Basically, honor and dishonor. Worth worth thinking about. Worth for a Western culture to think about. Verse 3. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. Then I Daniel looked and saw two others standing on opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen who was now standing above the river, how long will it be until these shocking events are over. Now, quick note. He didn't do what we do. We go, "Oh, the end of the world, the apocalypse, Armageddon, how long until it happens?" He asks how long till it's over. That means he's understanding something that we don't usually understand on a first reading. This is horrifying, okay? Those of us who love Jesus, we've only and ever been told about Jesus is gonna take us to heaven one day. That's true, but guess what? Some of us choose to remain God's enemies and justice coming at the end, we, man, we are in a culture right now, we really think we want justice because we don't recognize God. If we knew how, God, how angry God was at sin, we'd be asking for mercy and patience. We want justice because we think we're not the guilty ones. We think somebody else is the guilty one. The end of all things terrified Daniel. He lost sleep over it. He turned pale so that the king noticed many times when he saw these visions. He looked sick and he, he could, could barely perform his duties. Guys, the end is something that only the church should be looking forward to. Nobody else should be hoping for this. We don't want justice from God. We want mercy. Verse 7. The man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, It will go on for a time, times, and half a time. When the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, but another pause, another pause. If the person who first receives the prophetic vision is confused, can we give ourselves some grace 2,600 years later? Okay, so let's just breathe out. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, how will this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for I have come, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the end, time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. Did you hear how, how wickedness and wisdom were posed as antithetical right there? He's saying, like, that, that is baked in right there, Proverbs and Psalms, the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. Okay. That's not hey you went to university and you worked really hard. It's people whose hearts love Christ are going to have wisdom that the only spirit can give, you know. So there's wickedness and there's wisdom. That's not that's almost like tr- jumping the tracks from one set of train tracks to the other in our mind, but scripture say it so we ought to ponder that. Okay. Verse 11. From the time the daily sacrifice is stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1290 days. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1335. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. The book of Daniel is over. Was that ending on a high note? Oh, praise the Lord. Holy Spirit, teach us the scriptures today because we can confess yet again that we are still in our fight with the flesh. We have biases that we're seeking to confirm. We've got things that we don't want to hear in our flesh. So Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, as you said in John 1. Teach us what our Father is saying and give us hearts that are soft and humble and hungry for truth that might sting a little bit in the short term, but God, grant us the gift of repentance today so that we would be a people that are not in any way a social club. We're we're not here to just have fun and make friends, but we're here to be transformed by you. God, transform us so that we will love you better. Transform us so we will love each other better. Transform us so we will love our city and our world better. We need you. In the great name of Jesus, we ask for all this, God's people said. Amen. Amen. Turn around real quick and introduce yourself to the person behind you. Tell them your name, say hi. I'll come, I'll come. And here is your discussion question. I apologize for not having slides this week. I I normally like to have this question up so it's easier to remember, but I'm behind in many ways. Here's your discussion question. If you found out the end of the world was one month from today, if you found out the end of the world was one month from today, What emotions might you experience? If you're like Gregory, I'm going to slow you down here. Not what do you think, what might you feel? Mad, sad, glad, afraid, anxious, angry. Okay, what might you feel? Talk with your new friends about what you might feel if the end of the world was one month away. who would like to share one or two of the answers that their group discussed? Emotions that might come up if you knew the end of the world was only one month away. Anxious, glad, glad. fearful, Fearful. thank you. Group over here, one of the groups over here. Joyful, Joyful. happy, Anxious. anxious. So... Hopeful, yeah. Hopeful, joyful of, of, of seeing lost loved ones. And um, sad because of the ones that we've witnessed to and they closed the curtain. Sure. There's there's no way not to be heartbroken. If you love Jesus, you want your friends and family to, to, to choose to love Jesus as well. Excited. Excited? Anticipation. Yeah, anticipation. Yeah. And sure. Lots to be unsure. Oh, unsure about your own salvation? Well, Scripture handles that, right? right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a command for every day. Amen? Amen. Okay. Yeah. Churches, so mm. <laughs> yeah, if everybody knew, it'd be like cramming for a final, wouldn't it? Yeah, Pastor Dennis. Sense of freedom, because you don't have to check your oil anymore. <laughs> yeah, who, who's pumping money into their 401k? Yeah. Like, how's my kid going to turn out, you know, 20 years from now? No, just, just, just play Legos. You're good. <laughs> you, just, you can tell what life stage I'm in. If Gabriel and I had 30 days together, it's all Legos. So And trains. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, but but by the way, because there was a lot going on in this text this week, I have a lot of things that I typed that I put into the textual notes. Does anybody not have notes today who would like them? We can hand them out if you'd like the notes, but don't have them. One right over here. Thank you. Okay, there were a number of things that I just do not have the time in one sermon to talk about, but they're beautiful and they're helpful for understanding the text. I'm not going to talk about them. They're all written in the notes. If you want to, grab notes on your way out later to make sure you're not missing anything. The three actual sermon points. Let's get to those. First, grab your pen. God wants Christians to have confident hope in their resurrection. their resurrection. We're getting really practical with our theology here. We believe that Jesus emptied his own grave, but do you know that he did that with an eye toward you being raised from your grave? Now, I want to be clear. If our atheistic friends are right, and we all just cease to exist when we physically die, I will have lived a life of far more joy than my atheistic friend. It feels good to believe that God loves you. Amen. And if I lived my whole life being wrong, I still chose the better portion. We'll be clear about that. Okay? But Jesus died so that my flesh would die. 55 and forward, you guys remember last week? Okay. So, oh man, I gotta sneeze. How are you supposed to preach when you gotta sneeze? Put your hand up. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I'm allergic. Jesus, because he loves you and he's honoring the Father and, he, and I, he is smarter than us, right? He can kill three stones with one bird. It's a Chuck Norris joke that evolved a little bit. Guys, let it go. Jesus died to deal with the sin of the church. He died to glorify the Father. He died to show his love for the world. He did multiple things at once. And on Easter morning, he not only defeated death just to show the heavenlies, back to Ephesians 1, just to show off to heavenly powers his strength and his, his, his sovereignty. He, he was resurrected so that he could build our faith, walking around for 40 days going, hey, I told you. We're here. Go about telling the world that I love them too. Go. (laughs) And, And he was resurrected, the firstborn of the resurrection is what the phrase the New Testament talks about. He was resurrected to show us that his victory over death was a gift he was going to give to his church. We get it too. We get resurrection, and the best part is we receive it as a gift. It's not something we have to figure out how to achieve. Tell Big Pharma, hey, you know you're not going to defeat death, right? I know you're trying. Jesus defeated death and then took it as a gift and handed it to his church. I'm excited about that. I'm grateful for that. Look again with me at verse 2. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. So there is a resurrection, everyone's going to be resurrected. Look at verse 13. As for you, meaning Daniel, go your way until the end. You will rest. You guys have heard me harp on this before if you're if you're not a guest. Christ's defeat of death is so complete that New Testament pastors do what Jesus did. Jesus hears of a little girl who dies and says, "She's only sleeping." And everybody laughed at him. They laughed because of their understanding that they had no power over death. Why did he choose the word that he chose except his power over life and death is so complete that death to him is like an afternoon nap? And he can wake up that little girl just as easily as you can wake up your niece or nephew or granddaughter from a nap. And the rest of the New Testament writers followed suit with what Jesus did. And they say, hey, brother so-and-so went to sleep. They say it in, in the text, in the, in the New Testament. This is how death is talked about. So complete is Christ's power over death. Oh, that's good news. And he says, you, Daniel, will rest. Daniel, go your way. You, you do what you're responsible for. You're going to physically die, and at the time of the end of days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Oh, that makes me happy. I believe it's in Thessalonians where Paul says, encourage each other with these things. I might be in the wrong book, but when he's talking about the end of the world, he says, encourage each other with these things. He doesn't say freak out. (laughs) Right? The flesh tries to control and fear Worrying gives us this, really, this tiny and perverse feeling of control. I'm worrying about it, I'm doing something, aren't I? I'm devoting all my mental energy to it. So I, I feel this weird sense of control that scripture never tells us to go there or do that. When we talk about the end, those of us who love Jesus, we are encouraging ourselves. Hey, you remember your father defeated death, Right? Right? Guys, this last July, I shared that I had cancer, and you guys didn't come in and lay hands on me and say, Lord, Greg is toast. (laughs) Right? Our Father is sovereign, you know. And even if I physically had died later, so what? Unbelievable temporal pain that does not in any way change the fact that there is a resurrection coming. Something as big as God isn't altered by my circumstances. I'm going to be resurrected one day. If I get hit by a Mack truck this afternoon or whether I die of natural causes at the age of 92, I am going to die, period. So I should just breathe out on that one. And guess what? I'm going to be resurrected one day not because I deserved it. Where are you going to find a God better than this one? I've been saying for four and a half years, guys, this makes a lousy hobby. This is not the Elks Lodge. We are here because you couldn't find a God better than this one. I don't want anything more on a Sunday morning than to be with his people and sing his praises. I don't want anything more. You don't want anything more. You're proving it by being here. This is what you want. we all do what we want. There's no government telling us who we can worship or not worship. So here's the gut check. Here's the practical app at this point. Go back to verse one. When we talk about the resurrection, he just said something right before talking about the resurrection. Verse one, at, the ta- at that time, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. So something really horrible is going to happen. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. He didn't say everybody who's ethnically Israel. That's tragic. We wish that all of Israel had received their Messiah 600 years after this was said. But that didn't happen. Right? Some did and some did not. Every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Here's the gut check. If, if, if the scripture tells you, and it does, that God has a book, is your name written in it? Is your name written in it? The New Testament does not leave us twisting in the wind, wondering and worrying about whether our name is in the book. Do you know that? I'm just going to give you one verse. I could give you a thousand, but here's one verse that just lets you know. The fruit of the Spirit, you want to know the evidence that the Spirit's inside you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like If you see something beyond your own flesh producing those kinds of things, you, you see the down payment of the Holy Spirit is the down payment of future glory. Like you see that God controls you, sanctifies you. That's just a fancy church word, making you more like Jesus. You don't have to wonder. And it's not a theological checklist. If, if ever somebody could sink their way into heaven, it would be Jordan Peterson. If you don't know him, you need to type his name into YouTube. The guy literally teaches classes on the Bible, but he is not a Christian. He sounds almost like a Christian, and he has said publicly and repeatedly as an atheist that the gospel presented in the Bible is so beautiful you'd be a fool to not want it to be true. If anybody could think their way into the kingdom, it would be Jordan Peterson, and he can't do it. He's kind of like Saul of Tarsus of our day. He's just not killing people, gratefully, so... Guys, is your name in that book? Is there evidence that you trust only in the cross of Jesus to make you right with God? Is there evidence of that? Not just in your brain you say, I believe that. Is there evidence of it? Is your name in the book that God says exists? Second, for you note takers, God wants Christians to have confident hope in their inheritance. God wants Christians to have confident hope in their inheritance. Verse 13 again. As for you, Daniel, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. My Sunday school kids, Didn't Jesus say something like, I I go to prepare a place for you? 600 years after this, he's saying the exact same thing. Man, in our flesh, in our place of not trusting God, but only trusting self, we want to pick what heaven would be like. Just being honest. The control freak in us would like to know exactly what it's going to be like. We'd like to somehow control or decide or choose. And that tells me that I think I love me more than my father loves me. Scripture says the church receives an inheritance that the father prepares. Oh, thank you, Lord. Lord. If we look at all 66 books, which we should always be doing, you ask any question of Scripture, you ask a question of a particular verse, you let all 66 books speak into it to provide clarity. And the Old Testament says something really, really beautiful for the church. Back when the people of God was defined ethnically and the promised land was defined physically, they all had to have land that they had been promised. Their father Abraham, who had many sons... And many sons, Father Abraham. Father Abraham had been, if you're brand new to church, I apologize. That was ridiculous. So um, Abraham had been, had been promised physical land. And so his descendants received that inheritance hundreds of years later. And even then, and, and that seems really cool and beautiful when you're a kid in Sunday school and you're like, wow, promised land, yay, uh, milk, honey, wow, awesome. And God was telling us right from the beginning how insufficient that was. He said, Hey, Levites, you're not going to have any land. What did the Levites get as their inheritance? God. The Levites are a picture of the church. The church is told, you are the priesthood now. You help people interact with the cross. Like the first thing you walk into the tabernacle, the first thing you walk into the temple is a horrifying death of an innocent animal. And what this means in the church age is we're helping a lost culture know what to do with the cross. The church helps the world know what to do because we're the only ones who know. The New Testament says that the cross is foolishness and nonsense whether you're secular or grew up in church until your spirit is reborn by the spirit. The cross just offends. The cross tells me I'm a sinner. I don't like that. The cross tells me I'm morally insufficient on my own. I cannot earn my way into heaven. I don't like anything about this. The church, we are the priesthood. We help people understand this is the type of lamb that is brought. His name is Jesus. He's perfect. This is how he died. In your place. And behind that altar is a bronze laver. Here's where you're washed clean because of what he did. Your sin is washed clean, not through your effort, but through his sacrifice. The priesthood explains these things. We teach these things. And the priest, the Levites, knew that their inheritance was God himself. That's what God said. Church, we're not looking forward to physical land, are we? Are you kidding? We get God. And he's enough. He's enough, he's more than enough. There was a man who, back in the day, received a telegram that his very wealthy uncle had passed away, and that uncle had no children. He was the only living descendant, and so he needed to come down to the bank to sign some papers to receive this millions and millions of dollars inheritance. He wasn't close to that uncle, so he wasn't particularly sad, he was mostly just excited about the inheritance. So he hops in the car and starts driving to the bank, And he's about a mile away from the bank when all of a sudden he gets a flat tire. you know what he did not do? Ah! I have a flat tire! What am I going to do? This is the worst. My day is awful. My boss was mad at me and then I was fighting with my wife and now the flat tire. Ah! He didn't do that. Any thoughts about why he didn't do that? what is he more likely to do? Skip, prance, frolic, sachet? Like, you are, you, it's only one mile. How long is a mile if you're chubs and you're not used to walking? How long is a mile if there's a multi-million dollar inheritance waiting for you at the bank? 100 yard dash. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, When the doctor says it's cancer, but you're on your way to your inheritance, those words land a little bit differently than if this life is all you have to fight for. It's just different. It doesn't mean it's not bad news. It's just different. A flat tire is a flat tire. Greg, did you just call cancer a flat tire? Yeah, I've got cancer. I'm allowed to say whatever I want. (laughs) The worst news that a Christian can receive is still temporal it's right here it's right now it hurts like hell and then hell is going to be washed away so we mourn we don't skip past it we don't pretend like it doesn't hurt we don't pretend like the fear is not there we mourn like those who have hope in this life you will have many trials (laughs) but take heart for I have overcome the world he didn't say it was going to be easy. I've overcome the world. Said, no, 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 take heart. Here's some courage in the midst of your trials. I've overcome all of it. Jesus doesn't make the valley of the shadow of death walk go away. He walks with us through it. What's at the back end? An inheritance. I get God. Why is heaven forever? I'm glad you asked because God is infinite in his beauty. It's going to take eternity to enjoy and to reflect back through praise and adoration all that he is. It's going to take eternity to receive by inheritance all the blessing that Christ earned by living a perfect life and then handing that perfect life to us as if we had lived it. What does Jesus deserve? Ask yourself that question. Of course heaven is forever. He deserves all praise and honor and glory forever and ever and ever. And I'm going to walk in there, Greg Kaiser, with a name badge written in blood that says Jesus Christ. I'm walking in and dressed in the righteousness of Christ alone. Of course heaven is forever. I get him. And because I'll finally not be sinning anymore, I will no longer be tangled up with the idolatry of just wanting the blessings that he gives. I'll finally just desire him. Finally stop treating him like Santa Claus. Oh, it's going to be good. Here's your next step if you love Jesus. This is not in your notes. You might want to write it down. I want to encourage you. Once per day, say to yourself, start your day this way. The only reward I will live for today is the one Jesus has for me. You cannot watch a commercial without somebody putting a reward in front of your face that is lesser. It is second rate or third rate. You will be happy if, you will be satisfied if you get this. The grass is greener. Start your day this way, Christian. The only reward I will live for today is the one Jesus has for me. That requires trust. What is Jesus doing in heaven right now preparing a place for me? Whatever it is, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. Third, God wants Christians to have confident hope in his sovereignty, God wants Christians to have confident hope in his sovereignty. That's a 50 cent Bible word that means God is in charge, he is in control, and he never breaks a sweat. He's got this. About uh, Six minutes, but this is perhaps the most important point of the sermon. Look at verse 9. But he said, go now, Daniel. So there's an imperative, go. Go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the end of time. Don't get hung up on this message I gave you. You have a life to live to honor and glorify me. He says the same thing in 13. As for you, go your way until the end. Hey, Daniel, this message is true. This message has a ministry that's going to take place, particularly 600 years from now and beyond don't get hung up on this. You've got a life to live. Glorify me, love me, honor me, serve me in a dark place, shine in Babylon. That's your calling. Your calling is much more than this one message. You do the things that I have given you to do. This prophetic image is about what I am going to do in the future. That's actually the really the root of coming in and worrying too much about prophecy is God is telling us what he is going to do. He's not giving orders. In the New Testament, read Ephesians, he'll give us orders very clear. Like that's the nature of that genre. He's talking to Christians saying, here's how you love and honor God. Here's how you love and serve a lost and dying world. Here's how you love each other. In prophetic literature, he's saying, I've got this, trust me. Here are some things to look for. Things are going to get darker, but I am still on my throne. That's how prophetic literature works. Daniel, you've got things to work on. You love and honor and serve me. Me, I've got the cosmos. It uh, feels a little bit to me like the movie Saving Private Ryan. There is a young man who tragically... Uh, Of four brothers that all went to fight in World War II, three of them had died in combat, and somebody in the Pentagon just made the decision, this is such a horrible thing for a woman to bear. Let's get her last boy home safely before she loses all four of her sons in this war. And so uh, Tom Hanks and a group of seven or eight men are sent trouncing across France and behind the enemy lines. Uh, at different points, trying to find Private Ryan. And one of the consistent themes of the story is that the nature of a chaotic war environment, there is always something that they feel like they ought to be doing. It would seem right, it would seem prudent, it would seem like it would benefit the war, and yet, soldiers are taught to follow orders, and their orders are to find this one young man and get him safely Uh, out of the combat area so he can go back home to the states. Over and over again, what is our mission? What has been given to us? Let the generals run the war. They are shown, because they're on the front lines, they're shown so many that we we should attack that. We should deal this. We should let so-and-so know this. Over and over it happens, and none of it is their mission. I know that doesn't resonate with you at all, the Christian life in the 21st century. God is running the war. God is winning the war. You and I have a very small assignment that for us will take our entire life to fulfill our calling. It's big for you. It is a small, beautiful piece of the kingdom of God. And God loves us too much for us to put the weight of the the world on our shoulders. He loves us too much to put two, three callings on one person, say, hey, you have yours and you have yours and you have yours. I'm God, let me run the war. He's God, let him run the war. Christian, here's your take home. It's not in the notes, write it down. Focus on joy-filled obedience today. Focus on joy-filled obedience. Obey God and have a blast doing it because he has transformed your heart and you know that obedience is always choosing the better portion. Let's obey the things that we do understand. Let's obey the things we do understand. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for the person, Daniel, our brother who's in heaven. We look forward, perhaps, God, to getting time to talk with him about this amazing life, this amazing ministry. We thank you that he obeyed you and that he wrote these things down. We thank you for the encouragement that comes from this book. As I always ask, give us soft hearts that are able to receive what you have for us. And help it, make it bear fruit, God. That we would be genuinely changed in light of interacting with your word. We love you, Lord, so much. Help us to love you even more. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. couple of reminders. Oh yeah, Pastor Dennis, come on up. I just need
0: to share Here, let's get you on the mic. I don't usually do this. I'm not afraid. Listen, uh, this morning I was up and I thought... What would happen if Pastor Greg told me, you need to preach today? And I would be telling you about that you are a kingdom of priests. When he started preaching, I go, thank you, Lord, that I need to prepare that. But, but there's a, for most of you, have, some of you may have heard there's a revival happening in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Asbury, and and it, from all accounts, it's a legitimate revival where the Lord is mm-hmm. pouring out his spirit on people. And I just, the word that I want to tell you today is this. That, that God puts his spirit in his people. You have the spirit of God in you. Our responsibility is to be the people he's called, to be the priests, right? So part of the issue of revival isn't, God, I hope you your spirit comes down and I get to tinglies and I start doing stuff. I just want to encourage you, do what God's already asked you to do. Priests bring people to God, knowing what the value of the sacrifice is. So I just want to encourage you that you already have the Spirit of God in you. Start operating legitimately as his priest. Rev- revival isn't something that, that only God can do. I mean, listen, it's a move of God's Spirit, but it, it starts in you. So I just want to challenge and encourage. Sometimes we're waiting for God to do something that he's already promised he's going to do. So, be obedient.
1: A few announcements before we go.